This is a podcast where real doctors discuss fake medical emergencies. That means that unless your heart has just grown three sizes, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact your doctor. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Vane. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as Real Doctors Fake Friends, which is kind of just what I call this one when we <laughs> argue with each other. How dare you? How dare you? And I'm not even a real doctor, so I can't even say that. No. This is Hi, Everybody, a Bad Medicine podcast. Every week we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. You can find this podcast online at Hi, Everybody, MD on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or at HiEverybodyMD.com. Also, if you want to call us, leave us a message, tell us how we're doing, give us some ideas, whatever you want to talk to us about, you can call us at 530-DOCTORB. That's 530-D-O-C-T-O-R-B. The B stands for Bah Humbug, which I think appropriately sums up how most of the medical staff feels in this episode. I thought it was 50-50 that it was going to be that or baby Jesus. I am not going to use that one because there was no baby Jesus in this one. (laughs) Uh, What are we uh, discussing this week, Jackson? Uh, We're talking about Scrubs, season one, episode... 11. 11? Season one, episode... I got it right and you didn't. I knew it. You didn't. This one time, I forgot to look it up. But season one, episode 11, my own personal Jesus. It's a fitting episode because it marks the beginning of, as you have called it offline, ho 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 Sember. Is that what we're calling it? <laughs> yeah, ho 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 Sember. Hashtag ho 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 Sember. I'll count this one. It's fine. Yes. We're where we're gonna be talking about Christmas movies until the spirit of Christmas no longer moves us, which will likely be sometime around January first. Yeah. yeah. So uh this is the first Christmas episode of Scrubs. Uh and Jackson, why is it that you wanted to specifically pick this one? So as a guy who works in the ER, I think I've worked in the emergency department every year for the past seven almost years now on Christmas Day and Christmas Eve I feel for JD and I thought that was this is a good one because usually they said Christmas Eve is usually the busy one of the busiest nights in the of the year in the emergency department or in the hospital and it's relatively true because a lot of people want to get in before Christmas Day itself you know Mm -hmm. people will come in try to get everything squared away and it's usually those two days leading up to Christmas when it's really busy. But also, it's when I really hate working at times, especially when I have to work in the lower acuity sections of the hospital. The lower what? Acuity. So not okay. as sick people. Like okay. the people who like had a fever for an hour. Because certain places, they'll give away prizes or toys to kids on Christmas. And some parents will only bring in their kid on that day to get the free stuff. And okay. that is super frustrating. I remember there was one year I gave a choice of toys to this child and the child picked so i gave him that one and the mom said how come you're not giving them both i said there's other children who need toys too you know season of giving right mm-hmm. she's like well you should give my son too and i said i have to save some for other people she then proceeded to take the toy and then go both of them lovely i've also had a parent say that toy as they were walking out saw another kid with a toy that that hit her kid wanted took that t- toy from that kid saying, my kid wants it more than yours, and then left. So it's really hard to be in the Christmas spirit um, during those kind of events. I'll say Mm -hmm. that. And it's not always bad, but usually the night before, we will get a lot of those like not super sick because they want to look good before they take pictures, Christmas morning and all that stuff. Uh And then Christmas Day when you're working, that's when the sickest people come in because people don't want to come to the hospital on Christmas Day. You know, everyone Mm -hmm. wants to hang out at home. 
watch parades, open gifts, hang out. Mm-hmm. But when, man, when those patients come in on Christmas Day, usually they look like poo. Yeah. And that's usually when it's kind of kind of horrible. And I think the the song that they played, the 12 Days of Christmas song, really something. Yeah. Because Turk, uh, we're going to talk about the specific patients uh, as we get more into the episode. But Turk, he he kind of has the emotional arc of this episode yeah. and has the Jackson arc of this episode. <laughs> Of, uh, he started his Christmas Eve shift with the holliest and jolliest and super Christianiest mm-hmm. of um, Christmas spirits, and then the evening wore him down. It's really hard not to be a Grinch, like because it does. It really does wear you down by the end of your shift. You're like, okay, I'm ready to work, here to help people, and then when you run into like really bad, like poorly behaved, like Santa's naughty list kind of bad. Oh, this is terrible. What am I doing? Like, you want to help as best as you can, but man, some of them really suck. Mm-hmm. So I get, I understand how Turk felt during that time. And that's a very accurate kind of thing. And especially they're interns, right? Like, this is their first kind of real exposure to being a doctor. And mm-hmm. Christmas is a hard time to work. Um, not as bad as Black Friday, I would say. Black Friday is yeah. extra special. People think those two for one deals in the hospital get a lot of multiples. <laughs> Um, a lot of families bring in all their kids to get all checked out at once or trampolines. We have a lot mm-hmm. of those or TVs getting dropped on people. It's it's that time of year where it's not just colds and flu symptoms. It's also a lot of traumatic injuries, too. And I'm sure you also have, well, you mentioned tramplings and broken arms, but holiday related injuries. Um, I know that my family has had their share of them, whether it's uh, my stepmom who uh, consistently managed to cut her hand slicing limes oh, two Christmases in a row. Oh, that's got to burn. Before people came over. Yeah. Um, or I had a young family member who was doing one of those, like, had little beads that they were doing uh, ornaments with and decided to see if they could fit in their ear. And of, the answer is yes. One of my favorite one was uh, when a, a person came in, ate their food too quickly, and feels like the food stuck in their esophagus, despite still being able to swallow, spit, and all that stuff. I'm like, there's nothing in there. No, I ate a piece of ham. It was gigantic. It's stuck in my throat. I'm like, you're breathing. You're okay. You're telling me about this ham. They're like, I can still feel it. It's in my chest. So I gave them magic mouthwash, which kind of coats everything, makes everything numb. I'm like, oh, I feel so much better <laughs> now. I'm like, I know there's no obstruction because if you had one, you'd be barfing right now. But sometimes you can eat so fast, you tear your esophagus a little bit and you have scratches. Oh. Not like open, but like a little... Nick. Yeah, but like, like, like a abrasion. paper cut on the inside of your throat. Yeah, so you can have that sensation. So sometimes taking that medicine numbs it a little bit so you don't feel that anymore and then people don't have that sensation anymore. I feel like I've learned so much about my own body in the past 35 seconds. Chew your ham. That's, Chew yeah. your ham. You're not a duck. <laughs> I've probably also had ham cut my throat. I mean, that's a very common thing when you eat fast. You can actually cause abrasions in your, like, pharynx and your esophagus so usually using that will relieve that sensation of abrasions however if you ate fish good chance you have something stuck like bones i i, I guarantee next time we go out to brunch sometime in 2024 mm-hmm. i will mention that oh my gosh i just I, I have an abrasion in my pharynx yeah and then i'm just gonna go grab some malox and benadryl mix it up shake it and then tell you to drink that or mimosas mimosas will do it too but you can tell if you got an abrasion because it'll burn Oh. Because the bubbles. Oh, yeah. The bubbles and the acid feeling will actually make it feel like you're burned. Mm. Right? 
That's what I tell people when they have like sore throats, like avoid spicy food. It's like you had a paper cut on your hand and the last thing you want is to rub hot chili into it. It's going to hurt. So maybe just stay away from it a little bit. Rare medical advice on this podcast. It is rare. Only just like the steak that patient ate too. Um, But (laughs) I mean, obviously, if you have difficulty breathing or swallowing, go see a doctor. But in this situation, all of them could breathe. All of them could swallow their own spit. And if you can't swallow your own spit, that tells me your pipes are clogged. Okay. And that's why you need help. But that's the kind of stuff you deal with on Christmas or Mm -hmm. like during the holiday season. Um, I do make it a point not to work July 1st because that's usually a bad time. July 1st? Or sorry, January 1st. Okay. Because of the drinkings and the Mm -hmm. injuries that come afterwards. So I've learned that's like one of the harder times to work. I would imagine that you would also see on something like January 1st uh, in a PZR, you would also see patients who are underage and so absolutely haven't been drinking so we don't know why they're projectile vomiting obviously they smell like what was it someone said they smell like robert downey jr <laughs> I, I forgot what what that was for. oh that was from uh basketball that's right like oh my god this kid smells like robert downey jr and this was when he was like a heavy drinker known to cause trouble and going on high-speed chases and whatnot we'll have kids that smell quite quite festive i guess is the best way to say it very festive. Well mold. Well mold is usually good. I would say um, barrel aged is also oh, another one go. too. Um, but very very festive, and depending on which kind of festival they had, like sad festival or angry festival, or sometimes sleepy festival. That's the other one too. They're really drunk. But let's move on to these cases, right? Because there were three, three I think specific cases. Yeah. Um, so the shortest one and the one that kind of started the can you be in the Christmas spirit moment, uh, was the ICU patient who was comatose and had been for about two weeks. Yeah. And JD had a fantasy of walking in, hitting him like Fonzie hits a jukebox and bringing him back. <laughs> and then he walked in, said, I'm sorry, I've got bad news. And guy came back. You know what the sad part is? That's not the part that got me. It's his stupid tube in his mouth. <laughs> okay. It is. That's a suction tube. Yeah. Oh, there was a suction tube. Okay. Yeah. I thought that was a nasal, nasal cannula based no, on no, no. what I saw on Good Doctor. That was just a suction tube. So that white connector is what we use to connect to the suction canister. And then they okay. probably just cut a piece of tubing and just slid into his mouth and didn't tape it. Um, usually you have to tape those down, mainly because they get real juicy because mm-hmm. you make a lot of spit, right? So the, the enemy of an endotracheal tube, other than like occlusion, is dislodgement. So... If it slips out and continues to slip out, it's no longer working. So mm-hmm. usually there's a lot of tape. So usually you tape like a mustache, then you secure it, wrap it around it, tape it on the other side, and then do the same thing on the bottom of the mouth, kind of really anchoring it down with a lot so, of tape. So you give them like a, a, a Spock goatee. Kind of, yeah. But it's like two Vs crisscrossing almost with a wrap in the middle of it to really anchor it down on your face. Um, this guy didn't have any of that. Um, so... When he woke up, I would expect him to start coughing, gagging, and then probably cough up the tube. And he woke up so quick, mm-hmm. right? Like you would think if you were com- if you took a long nap, you wouldn't even wake up that quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's that is a not even a morning like waking up. No, that is um, I pretended to sleep and woke up. Yeah, that's that's the kind of wake up he did. Um, so that's the weird part about that one scene. And to, I don't want to build hope because this is a very rare situation. Especially if they said, 
oh, this guy had no neurologic improvement or anything like that. Again, I don't know what his case was before this, right? Like, we don't know what kind of brain injury he had, what kind of insult he took to his head to allow him to recover. But usually if you hear neurologic functioning not improving, it's very unlikely for you to have like a sudden checkmark bounce on those back to normal. I do have a question then about this particular patient. Mm -hmm. Did he have any monitors on him that would actually monitor the neurological improvement? Um, no, but sometimes okay. what they do, so there's multiple ways they can do it. One of them is, I think it's like a cerebral perfusion thing. They'll put like a strip on his head. Yeah, you mentioned that again in the... Uh, the good doctor. I know, you mentioned it last week actually in the funeral. In the, oh yeah, that one's in, in the Roxanne. league episode. Yeah, so that's one. Or it, what they could have done is if they were doing like a brain death, brain death test, they'll do an EEG, mm-hmm. put the leads on. Once they're done with the test, they'll take it off and then kind of go away. They don't usually leave okay. the leads on for prolonged Okay, time. so that that actually wasn't out of the ordinary for him not to have... All the leads on his head? Brainwave monitoring yeah. at that point in time. It's pretty unruly and messy because sometimes if you have multiple channels, like if they do mm-hmm. like 15, 21 channel, I think, I forget how many exactly they do. It's a lot of wires. The, 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 the spiky hat for the EEG. So it's not even the spiky hat. It's like electrodes onto the scalp. Okay. So that's like the most common one. And then they'll put a cap on it so it doesn't move. But you can imagine if that's been on for a long time, it interferes with care. And if you have a comatose patient, there's a lot of things you've got to move them around and things like that for bed sores. Yep. Okay. That Suctioning, cleaning, all that stuff. So sometimes it's just like, a, I want to say point of care, but um, a one-time snapshot of their brain activity at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and something they do, you know, once a day or multiple times a day. Yeah. Especially if they're doing like brain death, you need two documented brain death consistent brain waves or lack of brain waves to actually call it so they usually do it within like 12 to 24 hours of the first one to diagnose it so this guy might have had all of that done already but we don't know all i can tell you is he is not in a safe situation <laughs> that's it's, it's true um maybe he got oh that's the other thing too if you have those eg leads can't fonzie him back to life mm-hmm. you'll mess up the readings neurologists don't <laughs> like that the, it, it, neurologists disapprove of you uh, well, it's punching be like, patients in the chest. The weird wave, and then all of a sudden you punch him in the chest to get this huge spike. You're like, was this seizure spike? Was this movement seizure spike? spike? Earthquake? Fonzie? Who knows? So it's hard to say. But miracle. That's kind of what spurred Turk um, on his whole journey and kind of inspiring people. Yeah, and you said that you don't want to give false hope. Correct. We're very deliberate in what what you mm-hmm. say, right? Like that's why when someone dies i don't go like they passed away or we lost them you mm-hmm. kind of have to be really concrete and it's like they're going to die or the chances of this patient surviving is very low or almost zero or they're brain dead like those are like the concrete terms you want to do you don't want to give like false hope because that mm-hmm. can lead to patients being on a ventilator or something um, maintaining their lives longer than they should be mm-hmm. and that's like you're at that point you're kind of violating your hippopotamus oath right like you're not um you're you're doing harm you're keeping them alive when they shouldn't be alive because then they're going to face other complications like bed sores, infection, amputation of limbs potentially, creating antibiotic resistant bacteria. Like there's a lot of bad things that can happen from all of this stuff. So you want to like ensure quality of life, but also not hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I use hippopotamus. So it's, it's just a thing now. So yeah, that case, I'm glad it ended happy. The other two... I mean, it kind of goes up and down, but they all end happy because it's a, it's Christmas, right? Because it's a Christmas episode. Except for the middle case, I think. The one where Cox makes JD um, record his friends 
I'm gonna actually so the this moment is JD was asked to tape the birth of one of Cox's friends' babies. Yeah. And the tape that he had in the camera was no tape. Uh was was protected from recording. Um for those of you who are listening to this in 2020, a video cassette recorder uh is a or a camcorder is one that would record a video the way you would on TikTok but in longer settings. It's also a bigger thing. Yeah, also it it's um shoulder ma- you know big enough to fit on your shoulder. Uh and it would record it onto as uh, Dr. Greg Win- Winter mentioned before uh, magnetic strips that are held in what's called a cassette. <laughs> oh and, God. and then you make it you make it not record because you take off a little tab. Yeah. And everyone watching that episode in what, two thousand two would have gotten that joke. And everyone watching that episode in two thousand twenty for the first time would have been what the heck? How how did that work? Wait, was that really two thousand two? I think so. Wasn't that the first season of Scrubs or was no, it must have been two thousand or two thousand one. It was like two thousand, yeah. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah. But still holds up. Still holds up. Except for it seems so pixelated watching it on Hulu. Oh, yeah. Because it's low def. Anyway, that situation, what do you have to say about the the taping of the birth? And the Dr. Cox and JD lying about prenatal lice. So as Jordan mentioned, who is Dr. Cox's ex-wife slash wife, that means the mom had lice in utero, which Mm -hmm. shouldn't happen. But also, I don't, it depends on your hospital. You shouldn't be recording stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> in general. Videotaping a birth is a thing, though, and it's a thing it, that people do. It is, but getting a doctor to randomly record it who's not involved in the care of the patient is really weird. Mm-hmm. That's almost to the point where it would be me as an attending telling my residents to take my car out for a car wash. Right. That's like a favor that kind of crosses the line a little bit. So I don't I don't agree with that a little. That's kind of not cool. Do you buy that it's possible? I it depends on the hospital. You know, like my like some of the hospitals I've worked at have a strict no recording policy. Okay. Oh, I meant more about the having your intern be the one to do it or your resident. It depends how shitty of an attending you are. So fees that that side's feasible. It's feasible. Yeah. I I mean I've I've heard about attendings telling their residents to go pick up their laundry or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's that was a thing. I don't know if it still happens, but that was a big thing. Or get me lunch kind of situation. So I've heard of that before. Like that's not uncommon. In this day and age, it's it's a little more frowned upon. Uh, actually, a lot more frowned upon, I should say. But I think the other, this is the one thing I paid attention more in this episode. The critical error is mm-hmm. how clean all those babies were when they were delivered. Like <laughs> so clean. And none of them were attached to the umbilical cord. None of them. Like, especially when a patriotic OB guy doctor does a delivery, like just mm-hmm. takes the baby out, no cord, never clamped or anything like that. Not messy at all. Everyone was super, super clean. Ironically, just after JD talks about the fact that you would uh, pee, poop, et cetera. Tear down there. Tear. Yeah. And uh, well, well, being looked at by 10 strangers. Yeah. It messy. And also, um, the last thing I would want to do is take off my mask to talk to the family after a delivery like that because it's messy and there's still splash like the afterbirth still splash so keep your mask on don't don't touch up here it's messy you don't i'm gesturing at my face just leave the mask on do all your stuff afterward then take off the mask congratulate as you're leaving the room but 
Not when you still have business to do down there. You don't want to take your mask off. I think that's kind of... Uh, I mean, that's been the it, rule for the last several months, right? Don't take your mask yeah, off. Yeah, don't take the mask <laughs> off. Um, unless you're on Chicago Med and have that magical light. I don't even want to... Oh, well, know, we're going to cover it someday, I know we're gonna and you're going to get someday. so mad at me. Oh, I'm going to yell at somebody. I, probably with other people in this room. <laughs> or on this, on this interview, I should say. For that's... Sure. Uh, Something that I I think we see a lot in TV, mm. and this is me sp- speaking, you know, with my expertise, both as not a doctor and not a father. Um, but generally, when we see a birth on television, mm. it's, oh, there's a baby and everything is done. Yeah. And that's not the case. No, there are still complications that can happen. Um, mm-hmm. Like you can still have significant post postnatal postnatal hemorrhage or after mm-hmm. after hemorrhage after birth hemorrhaging the placenta's got to come out all the stuff they have retained products that can cause things too so there's a lot of a lot of things that still can go into all of this and also mm-hmm. like the days of the fully exposed nursery are kind of gone too like you can't just walk by the window and go that one that one's mine that doesn't happen as much anymore either because they all spend time in the room with their mom they try not to separate them as much as possible anymore that's like mother baby centered care so hmm. that doesn't happen as much anymore because the mom's got to breastfeed and all that stuff. So you don't want to like keep the baby in another room until the mom, until the mm-hmm. mom's ready and then they get the baby over. So every baby kind of stays in the room with the mom now. Huh? Yeah. I know that's a big trope that everyone thinks still happens, but it doesn't like the last thing you would want is like after you have your kid and your kid's like whisked away to another room for a long yeah, time. Yeah. It, it, the mood is not the, Oh man, this has been a long day. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of done with you now. Nope. The work starts now kind of situation so that baby's staying so that's that's the weird thing but that's a good transition to the next baby because this was like a baby heavy episode i would say yeah but with the 19 year old complaining of abdominal pain and then elliot tries to pawn her off to family practice which is fair 100 mm-hmm. percent fair actually i want to talk a little bit before we get to the patient i want to talk about the the free clinic yeah and she's a resident and Residents are required to moonlight a shift in the free clinic. So we call so that often. continuity clinic. So if you work in like um, a specialty that does clinic, like internal medicine, family practice, pediatrics, OB-GYN, mm-hmm. um, you usually go to clinic once a week mm-hmm. and kind of have your own patient load to manage and follow during your whole entire residency. So that's actually a pretty common thing. And it's not always a free clinic, but it's lower cost because you're seeing a mm-hmm. lot of trainees and whatnot. So that's actually a very common thing that all residents have to go through, at least those residents in those specialties. Um, what's the depiction of it, of uh, of the patients and things like that? How on point was it? It's pretty on point. Like, um, I remember my continuity clinic. It was a lot of wall child checks, so like your annual physical, and then um, a lot of minor things like colds, coughs, and whatnot. But occasionally you'll get like a really sick patient that you need to send to the emergency room or right to the hospital. So and it's usually people who have like Medicare or don't have insurance. They end up at our clinic. So Mm -hmm. and then we would be their primary doctor. So it's pretty accurate. Okay. Yeah. And you'll catch weird stuff like she did. Not I mean, pregnancy is pretty common. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But. Would you be more likely to see a patient like that? Do you think a patient who came in with abdominal pain but turned out to be pregnant in a clinic situation yeah. like that or in an ER? Both. Both. Because sometimes you don't want to go to the ER, right? Like usually you should be going to your primary care doctor first to kind mm-hmm. of 
figure out what's wrong, right? And like standard testing is like you're a female who can who's who's fertile and having abdominal pain. The first one of the first things I'll check is a urine mm-hmm. to make sure you're not pregnant. And that's kind of what happened here. And mm-hmm. I mean any any adolescent and up girl or woman who comes in ends up getting a urine test to rule out pregnancy. Because even if it's not something that's affecting their symptoms, it's something that would affect the care. It'll affect the care. Yeah. And it could be the symptom or it could be the cause of why you're having these symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. Like abdominal pain, pregnancy goes hand in hand. Also in this situation, it does go hand in hand with something much more dangerous, which we'll talk Mm -hmm. about in a second. But the one thing that was kind of telling that would definitely not happen these days is Kelso telling Elliot to that she's going to end up being a family practice doctor, an OB-GYN, or a pediatric doctor. Mm-hmm. First off, she's an internal medicine doctor. She's not going to switch to those because that's its own track. Because she'd have to basically start over mm-hmm. going as far back as medical school or, residency. or just the residency? Reset residency, basically. Mm-hmm. She's not going to do that. She ends up becoming an endocrinologist, I think. No, no. She wanted to do endocrinology, then ended up just doing private practice internal medicine. That's That was her career path. But... That's a super chauvinistic douchebag move there. Oh, and you say that wouldn't happen now. Oh, because he'd be fired. Because <laughs> he'd be fired. Yeah. 20 years ago? He's... You weren't a doctor then, so... Yeah, I, I think I was just thinking about medical school at that time. No, he wouldn't... He shouldn't have been continuing mm-hmm. to work at that point. Like, that could have been grounds for termination right there. I mean, that's kind of like assuming all female... Young female doctors are nurses, which happens mm-hmm. to all of my friends constantly being called nurses and that's like super not cool but being told by someone who you should be respecting that you don't belong in your field is a terrible thing to do Mm -hmm. i mean i got it a lot when i was a resident telling me i shouldn't do my specialty but now i'm doing it now so i can only imagine how disheartening it is to hear that as a doctor Mm -hmm. so yeah sucked not cool also i work in a female dominated field really pediatrics yeah Oh, pediatrics, yeah. Pedi- uh, uh, hey, I'm making the exact same assumptions that Kelso How did. How dare you? That we're complaining about. I am fired. Yep, you sure are. I, I was thinking, w- when you said female-dominated field, I was thinking emergency medicine. No, but pediatrics, mm-hmm. very much so. So me being the minority, that's just how it is. But who cares? Like, as long as you do your job well, it, does, it shouldn't matter what gender you are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but... Moving a lot, moving back to the case though. Back to the patient. Yeah, she's told that she's pregnant. That she's pretty far along, and then when she asks what she should do, I think Elliot goes, "I don't know. Go find someone else or something like yeah, that." Yeah, yeah. El- Elliot basically says that she's going to refer her to that she's not a baby. Uh, she's not a baby person, and she's going to refer her to one of her colleagues, and mainly because of the feedback that she got from Doctor Kelso yeah. of you're going to end up being a baby person. Yeah, but also correct move yeah yeah because really she doesn't deliver she doesn't mm-hmm. like deliver babies like ob or family practice is usually the one who delivers the babies mm-hmm. and if she needs prenatal care the best people to do it would be those people okay yeah especially an ob gun doctor that's like probably the more important one uh so this was treated as an emotional move that elliot made on the show but in actuality it was the right move because it's outside of her field of expertise and she should have done that yeah i mean i think the the thing they were trying to portray that she made the right move with the wrong emotion Mm -hmm. and i think that was the biggest problem 
I actually disagree that they were trying to portray her as having made the right move. Yeah. I feel like they were trying to show it as a, as she pawned the patient off. And then, but she was at the same time, I'm sorry, I'm working through this verbally. um, But at the same time, she was following up with her on everything like that. So I guess she didn't pawn the patient off. She just pawned her after the aspect. Yeah. Yeah. The next steps off. I will say as someone who's had that feeling of, oh man, I really got to find this patient to make sure they get the right care. I know what she Mm -hmm. went through. Like that's a scary, scary feeling. You're like, I might've missed something. I got to find this person to tell them. And then having a hard time finding them really hard to sleep after that. Mm -hmm. And I've had that feeling before. It's not fun. So the situation is that the patient after Elliot says, I'm going to get you get, get a specialist's, uh, Elliot gets some blood work back on the patient mm-hmm. that meant that there was a huge risk. Yep. And when she followed up on that, the patient had checked herself out. Not so much checked out, but eloped. Okay. There's a difference. So checked out means the doctor gave you the okay to go. Eloped mm-hmm. means I'm out of here. Bye-bye. So that's like okay. the difference. And we get people who elope all the time because they don't want to wait. They don't like the doctor. They want something else. That kind of situation. They think it's how they're scared of paying. I assume that happens, but we'll find you they, by we, I mean the hospital and the insurance companies. I, I don't care because I just do my job, but that patient runs away, but also was told that she had help syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, which is hemolytic elevated liver enzymes and low platelets. And that's a fatal, potentially fatal disease. And the way they portrayed it kind of fit because the way patients manifest with help is really vague at first. Like they just complain of abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, some backache, kind of pregnancy symptoms, right? Like okay, and this so this isn't specifically a result of the pregnancy, but so it, it is. is. A... You actually get oh, it, it is. while okay. you're pregnant, so it's related to like preeclampsia, which is related to like high blood pressure and can potentially lead you to get eclampsia, which is like seizures and all that stuff. But help can actually kill you because you can bleed out, you can have clotting problems in your system, you can actually get a liver hematoma that can kill you that way too. So this is actually one of those things where if you came in with vague symptoms like that and we find out you're pregnant, you're going to get all these labs anyways, and that's how they find the diagnosis. So this is actually a pretty accurate progression of how that diagnosis of help is made. And also sometimes you'll have elevated blood pressure too. But do you know what the cure for help is or the treatment is? I do not. What would you say for this pregnant person? What should they do? More red meat? Nope. Deliver the baby. Oh, like they did. Yes. So- that was the weird part was them finding her in the middle of the park, I think it was. Yeah. Well, that that's the miracle. That's that the miracle part. Yeah. faith. But again, clean baby. And this is someone who needs to get monitored quite a bit because if they have low platelets, they can continually bleed. Mm-hmm. So she looked pretty good after she delivered the baby and all that stuff. But you need to go to the hospital and they need to monitor your, your blood counts because you mm-hmm. potentially bleed out with this one. And they also need to like check her liver to make sure she didn't bleed in her liver either. So... Yay, happy ending, but they got to they gotta go to the hospital real quick. So in actuality, that baby would have been delivered in an ambulance or the, or the hospital and not in the park. Well, if the baby was delivered already in the park, because, you know, they couldn't control that part. Uh-huh. But get her into the ambulance and get both of them to the, the hospital to get checked out quickly. Don't just let them hang out there and do nothing Cause, and wait for the rest of the doctor friends to show up. And that was the other thing. Oh, there was a random dog. Did you notice that? It was like a random, a random dog, like in that scene? No, in the background. No, I did not. I did not catch that one. So one of the big jobs, 
like first responders should do when they get to a scene is secure the scene. So making sure there's no other bystanders that can interfere or anything like that. The ambulance was there and all these bystanders were walking over trying to oh, look. Oh, so even in that moment. Yeah. They were all trying to look and all that stuff. And there's like a dog just kind of wandering over to the scene. <laughs> like, Is that a police dog? Nope. It's just some random dude. You got to secure the scene. You you cannot just let any random person show up because they, you don't know if they're safe or not, right? Mm-hmm. You don't they have a weapon. You don't know if that guy wants to eat babies or anything like that. You have to secure and kind of keep whoever doesn't need the immediate care or random bystanders out of the way. No looky-loos. Mm-hmm. Like, and if there are looky-loos, they need to be like across the street or something like that. So that was like a weird thing that I noticed only because I've done all that EMS stuff. That's part of my training. So that was like a weird thing to notice. Would Elliot and JD and Carla in this situation have been counted as looky-loos? Yeah, 100%. Right? Because they, they don't belong there unless they were actively participating in care. Which, in, in which case, why is Turk calling his buddies and not the EMS? Yes. Or did they, did they have, this was before he got his like 818 call Turk phone. Yeah, yeah, this was this was pre eight one eight culture. Yeah, so I don't think that means he had to have called nine one one, hung up on them, and then called mm-hmm. his friends, or called his friends first, who then told him to call nine one one, and then have everyone show up. Yeah, or it was because it was two thousand. Yeah, and so he would have paid thirty five cents per minute per text uh, if he was texting any of them. Also, didn't they mention they lost cell service when that girl tried to call nine one one, and then they lost track of her. So that means that area has really dodgy cell service. Which, again, I mean, it's I'm, 2000. I'm not a story writer, but come on, pothole. I think uh, that, yeah, that, that, that tracks to me as someone who had a cell phone in 2001. I did. In, in random Midwest. Oh. And we have no idea where Sacred Heart is. Sacred Fart? I thought it was L.A. Oh, no, it can't be L.A. Because it's there was... filmed in L.A., no. but they, don't, they never give us the this is location. They, also, it couldn't be L.A. because... People were have in the song. There were people with frostbitten toes and all this other stuff. Hey, it's a song, so yeah, you can't really get frostbitten in LA unless it's like. Well, it's, oh, oh, the Turk song. The Turk Never song. Mind. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking that that, that it was referenced in like the theme song. No, I'm talking about the the Twelve Days of Christmas song. Like okay, like frozen cold people. That doesn't happen in LA. I know. I live there. I don't know. This week in San Diego, we got down to like parts of. of Mountain San Diego area got down to 40s. That doesn't count. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, East County people. Uh, and I've just alienated another part of our base. Hi, everybody. Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. For those angry. Or 530 Doctor, because Jackson answers that one. I do. I'm ready for those angry comments. But I think that's everything from the episode. I'm trying to see if there's anything else. That's, that's everything oh, from the episode. Turk coming home in bloody scrubs. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah Dis- and that's not the only time that's happened it isn't but that's disgusting like he's wearing surgical scrubs so they easily those green scrubs are easily changed and in the hospital like honestly if my scrubs were dirty i probably luckily i wear like an undershirt too i probably would not wear that shirt outside of the hospital they also specifically talk about having a scrubs machine where you have to put in your dirty scrubs and get clean ones yep. in in the series yeah also you learn how to cheat those machines and get more scrubs because when you're a resident, you you're not paying for Free those scrubs. Yeah, you're not paying for those fancy scrubs. Try to get as many scrubs as you can so you don't have to go back to the machine and then <laughs> exchange it. It's annoying. It's super annoying. Like you have two credits. 
but I threw in three <laughs> scrubs. You have two credits. Fine. I'm going to figure out how to get more of them. You find out when the guy's stocking the scrub machine, and then you ask him for more scrubs. That's that's the secret. That's why I have so many pajamas now. <laughs> uh, don't listen to me on that part. That, that'll get yeah. you in trouble. Yeah. This podcast is not residency advice. No. So I do have an important question. Mm-hmm. And I really want to someday make enough money on this podcast to be able to preface this important question with the sad piano music from Scrubs. <laughs> but the human centipede builds itself as 100% medically accurate. If that's the case, how medically accurate is Scrubs Season 1, Episode 11, My Personal Jesus? So, it, I mean, if we break this down, the, the whole help situation was pretty accurate. You know, I think that was pretty legitimate on how the patients present and whatnot. The patient in the ICUs to garbage. The videotaping, yeah, it depends on where, right? But the overall kind of feeling of bahumpy, grinchiness, I guess, during Christmas time for medical staff, it's it's relatively true. So, like, that part kind of hits home quite a bit. And you'll have Mm -hmm. the cheery nurses. You'll have the cheery doctors and whatnot. But sometimes after you see a lot of patients, that does wear you down. And I think that's the big thing that Scrubs always does really well is just shows a really accurate portrayal of how not just like the cases and stuff like that, but how the doctors really feel yeah. after getting and it. it's something that, that you've said before, and also I've seen all sorts of places that scrub nails better than any medical drama what it's like to work in a hospital yeah. in the same way that, you know, The Office or Parks and Rec nail what it's like to work in uh, in sales or work in in government better than say west wing yeah and it's that that those mundane not the mon, yeah those mundane feelings and just general feeling of the doctors is really an important key factor so i would say mm-hmm. 200 okay it's not quite bob's burgers no. levels of accuracy no it's not it's not pinworm accurate not pinworm accurate but it's right around there with say uh the homer uh triple by i almost wanted to call that episode i wanted to call it my triple bypass i mean uh, scrubs <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so pretty up there. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, anything you would do to make the episode more medically accurate while keeping the, I'm going to say the dramatic stakes high because I feel like the comedic stakes of this were relatively removed from the. There was quite a bit of comedic stuff though. And it all came in like cut, mm-hmm. cuts and flashes and whatnot. Yeah. It, they were removed from the, from the medical moments. I mean, it's really overall. hard to figure out what else they could do more accurately. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ICU stuff, I mean, obviously just fix your tubes, but that's not going to affect the the stakes or anything like that. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing that kind of hit home the most was just how much Elliot was trying to find this one patient. Mm-hmm. And for any new doctor, that is one of those worst feelings, even for old time doctors, too, or like more seasoned doctors. Having that feeling of not finding someone and then desperately rallying your troops to f- try to find this person, it's it's... It hits home. It really does. It's happened to me before, and I know it's happened to a lot of my colleagues, and it, it's a very realistic thing. And I think that's probably your dramatic key was finding this one patient, and I don't know how I would fix that. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't have anything for this one <laughs> in general. I like it. It's good. I still won't raise the, the centipede score. I think the centipede score stands, but mm-hmm. I think it, it, it's a good episode, and I think the stakes are, are appropriate. All right. Yep. 
Well, thanks, folks, for listening to our first ho 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 sember of episode of <laughs> just 2020. rolls off the tongue. <laughs> uh, and uh, we will be back next week. I don't know if next week is going to be our Home Alone two episode or if we will need a buffer because that one's going to take a little bit of time to edit because it's going to be fun. Exclamation point? Question mark. Well, we'll find um, intero bang. Is what, what I think <laughs> the term you're go. looking for? That is exactly the term I'm looking for. A deep grammatical cut from Dr. Jackson Vane. It was on my trivia test. Um, but uh, yeah, we will be back next week with more festive cheer on Hi Everybody, a Bad Medicine Podcast. Bye, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.